Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we begin reading in verse 1. I'll read you, follow along. 1 Samuel 1, 1, the word of God says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, and the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and to and her daughter's portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah unto her husband, her husband to her, Hannah, Why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not, and why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk, now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on my affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall come no razor upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul uh, before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. Verse 18, And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to her house in Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about, after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this Bible account. We're grateful for the truth of it. Now I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, help us to learn some wonderful truths from this dear lady's life. Uh, may we learn these truths, live them before you, and bring you much honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, what a great story. <clears throat> uh, Hannah is known as the mother of the great prophet Samuel, uh, but that's only the end of her story. Uh, the beginning of her story is very interesting. And in this story, we can learn how Hannah's faith in God gave her a son and gave Israel one of its greatest prophets. Samuel was a mighty prophet before the Lord. And actually, uh, the last prophet, the last judge before God gave Israel a king. 
And so uh, the faith of Hannah is, is so intriguing, so interesting, and there's so many lessons we can learn. And so today we're going to look at Hannah's faith that wrought her a miracle, and we're going to remind ourselves that the same faith is available to you and me. You know, God's no respecter of persons. I like that. Uh, God doesn't love me more than you. He doesn't love you more than me. God doesn't do one thing for one that he won't do for another. Uh, God loves all his children the same. And I love that. And so uh, we have powerful faith available to us today. Now let's dive into the message. I believe it's impossible to overestimate the worth of a godly woman. Proverbs 31.10 says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. I thank God for every godly woman in our church. I thank God for every godly woman in the world. There's just something special about ladies who love God. There's a sweetness, a kindness, a generosity uh, that comes forth that the world desperately needs. Uh, Hannah was such a woman. Her story is immortalized in the Word of God. And so we're going to look at her life and learn these lessons of faith. Now, the account of Hannah is found in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. As we read, she was the first wife of a man named Elkanah, and she was barren. Elkanah loved her and favored her above his second wife, Penina. He gave his wife Hannah preferential treatment, yet her heart was broken. She needed a miracle. She had no children. And we find in this story how she indeed got her miracle. I'm going to give you three points <clears throat> with some subpoints, and then we'll go to the house today. We're going to talk about Hannah's fret, Hannah's faith, and Hannah's finish. And I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Number one, Hannah's faith. First Samuel chapter one and verse six. As we look at that verse, says, And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. Now, the word fret is an old English word that means to be anxious, vexed, irritated, or agitated. We've got a lot of people today who are anxious, a lot of people uh, facing anxiety. And anxiety can not only have <clears throat> mental and emotional effects, but physical effects in things like panic attacks. And anxiety can get so ramped up in your heart and your mind that it actually starts to manifest itself physically with breathing and trembling and, and other things. And so worry is nothing new. Anxiety is nothing new. It's been around since sin came into the world. We also know what it's like to be irritated. Many of us, I'm sure, were irritated this week at something or someone. And we know what it means to be agitated. Fret literally means to rub or to wear away by friction. It's that constant rubbing that just wears through. And uh, you've probably heard people say, boy, this is just wearing me out. This is just wearing on my nerves. It's that idea of fretting. And Hannah was fretting. There are three reasons for Hannah's fretting, and we'll look at them here in the Scriptures. The first was the worry of no children. 
Why was Hannah anxious? Why was she agitated, irritated, fretting? Because she had no children. Even though Hannah had a godly husband and a good life, the thought of having no children made life unbearable. I've known people throughout the years who couldn't have children, and, and just what, what a, a terrible thought. It, it weighs on them. It wears on them. And I'm grateful that many of them uh, choose to share their love through adoption. And what a wonderful thing it is to adopt someone into your family. Uh, all, all this abortion craze out there today is absolutely insane. Every child has worth. Every child is special. And would to God uh, we could see uh, the love for the unborn and then more of this love reaching out in adopting children for those who can't have any. <clears throat> but the life, uh, the, the thought of life without children made Hannah's life unbearable. And it was exacerbated in those days because a woman's main contribution in society was to bear and rear children. A husband expected children, especially sons, to help carry on the family name, to work in the family business. And uh, it was important for a woman to be able to give birth. A woman's entire self-worth was often bound up in the lives of her husband and children now compare that today to this world that says well you don't really want children it's much better to have a career it's much better to to just go about your life let me encourage all the ladies that you are very special God made you to bear children and that's not that's not a burden uh, that, that's an amazing privilege and I know men like me we look at ladies that can the fact that you can have birth is an absolute miracle the fact that God uses your body as the incubator for a brand new soul is marvelous. It's miraculous. Uh, we look at you with awe. And then the, the, the love that goes into that, the toughness that goes into that. I know why God didn't let men have children, because there would have been one. And we would not have done that again. I mean, the, the first guy that ever had a baby would have been like, I ain't doing that again. And so you ladies have a, a special type of, love and a toughness and and a desire that God's given you. Uh, Don't buy into this worldly philosophy uh, that being a mother is somehow a step down, that being a housewife is somehow less than having a career out there. Uh, You contribute greatly to the family and to the society whenever you focus on raising godly children. That doesn't mean you can't work if if you and your husband work that out and you can fulfill all your responsibilities. Of course you can. But it means don't buy into this idea that somehow having children and and being a, a homemaker is a step down. So many young children, so many young ladies growing up today are bombarded with this idea of 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 doing something besides that. What a blessing it is to have a family and to have children. I've always thought about my wife, Sarah. She wanted three things in life. It's all she ever wanted was to be a, a wife, a mother, and a pastor's wife. And I love that about her even whenever uh, I was dating her. Is her, her main goal in life was I just want to be a wife and a mother. Whatever else God wants me to do is totally fine, but I, I would love that. And those are good things to uh, strive for. But what if God doesn't give you that? 
What if God doesn't give you what you so desperately want, what you feel like you can't live without? And this was Hannah's dilemma. You know, all of us have been there too, haven't we? Where sometimes God will withhold what you feel like you need to go on. Hannah desperately wanted children. And the worry was overtaking her life. She couldn't even function at times. She couldn't eat. She couldn't drink. She couldn't go about her daily life. Sometimes this, <clears throat> this need was so debilitating. She had a good husband, and Elkanah was good to her and loved her. He didn't treat her differently or look down upon her because she couldn't have children. In fact, he tried to cheer her up. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 5. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. So he didn't treat her any differently. Matter of fact, he loved her even though she couldn't have children. And boy, I wish, I wish that the ladies of our lives could learn this. Uh, we men, when we love you, we love you in spite of all the things that you wish you had. Uh, we love you in spite of how much you weigh or don't weigh. We love you in spite of how you look or don't look. We love you in spite of we don't compare you to the people on the TV screen or the people on the magazine covers. We love you for you. And we'd rather have you than anybody else. We chose you and we love you. And would to God, every woman in, in the room would just be like, God chose me. You have self-worth because God chose you and your husband chose you. We love you because we love you, not because of what you have or don't have. And Elkanah, Elkanah was such a man. Then look at verse 8. Then said Elkanah to her husband, her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? Now I always chuckle when I look at this because here's a man's attempt to comfort his wife and sometimes we do it so poorly, right? Uh, sometimes we confess that as men, sometimes we just don't know what to do. We just don't know how to act. We don't know what to say. We don't know what you need. And so you're just going to have to give us an awful lot of grace because sometimes we don't say the right thing. And here his response was, well, hey, aren't I better to you than ten sons? And I imagine her looking at him going, no. Not at all. And uh, of course she loved her husband, uh, but she desperately needed a child. And even a husband's love could not fill the hole in her heart. So we see the fretting because of the lack of children. Number two, we see the anxiety of competition. Now here Hannah and her husband had a third member in the family, another wife named Penina. Now, I often get asked, preacher, why, uh, why did God allow them to have multiple wives in the Old Testament? Does God want us to have multiple wives today? And we always go back to the original intent. We can look to the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, uh, God created Adam and Eve. Not Adam and Eve and Deborah and somebody else and somebody else. God's plan for marriage is one man and one woman for life. That's God's plan. Now, in the Old Testament, they often picked up habits of the heathen people around them, and God would put up with that at times because he had bigger fish to fry, so to speak. He was trying to work in different ways in their, their lives and their society. But listen, you study the Bible and you see all the problems that come along with this type of plural marriage. And there may be things in your life that God might allow you to do, that are not His will for you, but you're going to pay for them. Don't live the kind of life where you make God bring the hammer down every time He wants you not to do something. It ought to be enough for God just to say, hey, don't do that. Yes, sir. 
hey, I, I don't want you to do that. Yes, Lord. Don't make God bring the hammer down on you every time he wants you to do something wrong or, or uh, he wants you to stop doing something wrong. And so we see the anxiety of competition. Now imagine the difficulties of plural marriage under the best of circumstances. But in Hannah's case, Elkanah's second wife and the mother of his children, Penina, made Hannah's life miserable. We read earlier how every year, especially when they went up to give offerings to the Lord, Penina would poke at her, jab at her, just making her life absolutely miserable. Now, I confess that most ladies communicate on a different level than men. That can be good when it's done for God's glory and for the good of mankind. You know, ladies just know how to say the right thing. They know how to speak words that heal and help. And a godly woman's kindness is like a balm to the soul. It's like medicine for the soul. But that same gift can be used to hurt. And when a woman wants to hurt somebody, she knows exactly what to say. And she just says it in a certain way. And it's, it can be very hurtful. And ladies can use kind words said in a mostly pleasant tone, but they're like daggers underneath. You ladies know what I'm talking about, don't you? I'll never forget one time I was uh, watching. I just happened to be around. I think we were down in the nursery here, and I hadn't been here very long. And a couple ladies talking in the nursery, and I was half paying attention. They were just being nice to each other, you know, nothing said out of the ordinary. And uh, they walked away, and my wife said, whoa, did you see that? I said, yeah, I saw it. She said, can you believe she said that? Can you believe she said what? And my wife had to educate me on the underlying tones and everything. And you ladies have to be careful because it's easy for you to be like, Oh, I hope you have a nice day. And it's like what you're really saying is you got to be careful of that. And so imagine here Penina going after. And I'm sure Elkanah, maybe he was oblivious. Maybe he thought, hey, my wives are getting along fine. And the poking and the the behind the scenes stuff. We got to be careful about that. Now, competition, among others, is Usually a bad idea unless it's in a sports setting or a fun setting. Although I've known people that can't even play board games. Uh, I know a family member one time, they were playing a board game at a, at a holiday. And I can't remember if it was Monopoly or whatever. Uh, but somebody made a move. And this lady, this feminine, sweet, godly lady, literally picked up the board and flipped it in the air and got up and walked away. <laughs> and it's like, we're just playing a board game. And uh, sometimes people struggle with that. You know, some people are more competitive than others. But com- competition's usually not a good idea unless it's in a sports setting or some type of game setting. But even then, you have to know when to call it quits. But the Bible warns us against competition and comparison among ourselves. Second Corinthians 10.2 says, But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. And so we have to be careful of comparison. The Bible talks about those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. And so we must learn not to be in competition with anyone. And listen, every one of us, the person that you're in competition with is yourself. We're in competition with ourselves. 
Paul Chapman needs to be the best Paul Chapman he can be. Paul Chapman's not in competition with Joe or Lee or anybody else. We have to be in competition with ourselves. And God is the measuring stick, not anybody else. Our church can't do that. We can't compare our church to other churches. Preachers shouldn't compare themselves to preachers. Ladies shouldn't compare themselves to other ladies. And don't compare your your looks or your weight or your finances or your possessions or anything else. Be content with what God has given you. Be thankful for the grace and goodness of God in your life and in my life. Competition can be terrible. We see Hannah fretting. She could have no children. She had competition within the family. And then number three, the distress of an unchangeable circumstance. Hannah wanted a baby. No doctor could assist her. Her husband couldn't help her. And she refused to be comforted. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there when you just refuse to allow people to comfort you? I have. You don't want to be helped. You want to be sad. You want to be angry. You want to be upset. That's a rough place to be in. So what's the hope? Hannah's only hope was to turn to God. Here's a beautiful thing that happens when you turn to God. And don't don't miss what I'm about ready to say. God will either give you what you think you need. Or he will give you the grace to live without it. Some people say, well, I went to God and he didn't give me what I wanted. Well, he'll give you the grace to live without it then. You know, sometimes we want things that we don't need or we want things that aren't for us. That car's not for you. That house isn't for you. That life isn't for you. And that's okay. Because God can give us the grace to live without it. Or sometimes he'll give it to us. Now, Hannah did the right thing and she ran to the Lord. And we see that when when she got up and left, she ran to uh, the, the temple of the Lord here. And she poured out her heart before the Lord. And when we struggle with worry and anxiety, we must learn to give our worry to God and he will give us peace in return. First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. And so praise God for that. Uh, when you get in distress, you get worried, you get fretting, you get agitated, you get irritated, run to God, pour it all out. Now, I can't move on without mentioning Elkanah, Hannah's husband. Uh, we must notice his faith. The Bible gives a very interesting detail that's easy to overlook here. We know in the story that Elkanah was taking his family to the temple of the Lord every year as he should have. But look at verse 3. 1 Samuel 1, 3, And this man went up, out of the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Wonderful. But read on. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord were there. If you know your Bible, you know that this was a dark time in the days of worship in Israel. Hophni and Phinehas were wicked men. 1 Samuel 2.12 says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. They were sons of the devil. They not only weren't saved, they were like the devil in priest's clothing. 1 Samuel 2.17 says, Wherefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Now you've got to understand, 
uh, Hophni and Phinehas, Eli had pretty much taken a back seat. He was letting his sons do whatever they wanted to do with just a verbal rebuke. And later, Eli actually gets removed. His whole family gets removed from the priesthood because he didn't restrain his children. You can read about that in uh, 1 Samuel. But here, these two men, Hophni and Phinehas, these wicked men perverted the worship of the Lord. When people brought offerings to God, rather than give the offerings to God, they took what they wanted. The, the fat and the other things that were supposed to be given to God, they demanded it. And if somebody said, no, no, I'm going I'm to offer this the way God wants, Eli and Phinehas extorted it from them and threatened to physically hurt them if they didn't give them what they wanted. These were two wicked men in very powerful positions doing things so open and wicked that the average family in Israel said, man, I don't want to go worship. I don't even want to go worship as long as those two people are there. And I'm sure some people didn't. But here's Elkanah. And I imagine Elkanah talking to his family, perhaps around the dinner table, saying, listen, I know that Hophni and Phinehas are there, but we don't go for Hophni and Phinehas. We go worship the Lord for the Lord. And this is a great lesson for all of us, folks. You've got to get your eyes off people and put them on God. People are going to disappoint you. People are going to disappoint you, but God never will. We don't go to church or not go to church because of who's there. We go because of God. We don't pray or not pray because of what somebody did to us. We do it because of God. And Elkanah's faith, I hope you can see this, that he led his family properly and in a godly fashion in spite of Hophni and Phinehas because he was doing it for God. And let me just say a word to the men on Mother's Day. Men, every godly woman I know wants the man or the men in their lives to lead lovingly in a godly fashion. I can't tell you how many women over the years have wept saying, I wish my husband was a spiritual leader. I wish he would just take the lead spiritually. And I'm not talking about you take the reins when it's convenient and, and, and you just uh, uh, push your weight around or you demand things or, or you take the lead when it's convenient, but then when you don't want to, you don't. No, I'm talking about trying to be like Jesus, trying to live like God, trying to say, how would Jesus lead my family if he were in my shoes? What does God expect of me as a, a, a Christian husband and a Christian father and a Christian man? Even you young men, you say, well, I'm not married. You young men, you need to step up and, and step into uh, some Christian shoes and say, I want to live like Jesus. What does God expect of me as a Christian young man? And every godly woman I know would cheer that and say, yes, please, please. We thank God for the many godly men we have at Curtis Corner Baptist Church. Let's move on. We talked about Hannah's fret. Let's talk about Hannah's faith. I love this idea about faith. You know, there can be no faith without fear and doubt. There can be no faith without fear and doubt. Fear, excuse me, faith is kind of like courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's being bold in spite of it. Faith is not, well, there, there's, there's no doubt, there's no problems, there, there's no obstacle. That's not faith. 
Faith is there is an obstacle to overcome. There is a mountain to move. There is a valley to cross. There is a river to go through. But we're going to trust God anyway. And Hannah is in the Bible because she showed great faith through an impossible situation. Please don't miss what I'm about to say. God will allow difficulties in your life so that he can show himself mighty through them. In verse 6, the Bible says, because the Lord had shut up her womb. Do you know why Hannah didn't have children? Because God didn't let her. And some would say, how could a loving God keep her from having children? It has nothing to do with his love. He's sovereign. He's God Almighty. He gets to do what he wants. Chapter 2 talks about God killeth and God maketh alive. He maketh rich and he maketh poor. God does what he wants. And he puts us in positions sometimes that aren't our preference. But why does he do that? So he can show himself strong. And faith grows in the soil of doubt and fear and insecurity. Any story without conflict is boring. Every hero needs a villain. Every mountaintop has a valley. And you and I need problems so that we can know ourselves, we can exercise faith, and we can see God come through. I hope and I pray that all of us could learn to see our problems as opportunities rather than obstacles. That's a shift in your thinking. This bad thing happened. It's an opportunity. This terrible thing happened. It's an opportunity. I used to know a man years ago in Bible college, and when something bad would happen, he'd say, that's a blessing. Or he'd say, ain't that a blessing? He's from Tennessee. Ain't that a blessing? I'd be like, what are you, that's not a blessing. What are you talking about? But he was learning and teaching himself, and he had learned to see things as an opportunity. Hey, remember one time we're on the bus route, the bus won't start. Well, that's a blessing. That's not a blessing. <laughs> we, we got stuff to do. We got people to pick up. People are waiting on us. What are we going to do? That's a blessing. And sometimes now, you might hear me say that. Something bad will happen. I'll say, well, ain't that, that's a blessing. People say, that's just not a blessing. And I learned that from him where you're trying to retrain your thinking to say, no, when when something bad happens, we're not going to break down. We're not going to curse. We're not going to get angry. It's an opportunity for us to show our faith. Wow, I wonder what God has planned. Or perhaps, you know, the bus won't start. Maybe God knew that someone was going to hit us and we were going to get an accident today. That, That is a blessing if God saved us from that. Or maybe this happened. See, learn to look at difficulties and problems and trials as opportunities to exercise faith because worry, doubt, and fear are fertile ground for faith if you choose to exercise them. Now, faith doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens when you exercise it. Faith must be exercised. It's not just, well, something bad happens. Well, I guess I don't have faith because nothing happened. Faith doesn't happen to you. It's something you do. We exercise faith. And so consider these three areas of Hannah's faith. First, she had the faith to ask. 
She couldn't eat. Her husband couldn't help her. So she went to the tabernacle of the Lord and she poured out her soul and wept uncontrollably. Look at verses 9 and 10. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli, the priest, sat on a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. So she had the faith to ask. And this is such an important lesson that we must learn to go to God whenever we are struggling. And and it's an act of faith. We talked about just recently that praying itself is an act of faith because in order to pray, you have to believe that God's there and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So prayer is an act of faith. But then not only do we see her faith in the faith to ask, we see her faith in her vow. Look at verse 11. And she vowed a vow. And said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look upon the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, then wilt thou give thine handmaid a man child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his, his head. And so she vowed a vow. She asked for the impossible. She asked for a son. And she vowed that if God gave her a son, she would give him back to God. And when it talks about not allowing a razor to come upon his head, she's basically saying, I'm going to raise him as a Nazarite. Now, the Nazarite vow was the strictest vow in in uh, uh, Judaism. And it's one where you said, I am basically going to live as separated from the world as I possibly can. And she said, if you give me a son, I will raise him for you. I'll give him back for you. And I'll raise him as separated and as committed to you as a child can be. That's a vow. But let me just say a a word about vows. They're solemn things and they're not to be made in haste. Oftentimes we are tempted to make a vow whenever the going gets tough. The problem with vows is God holds you to them. So it's better not to vow a vow than to vow one that you don't intend to keep. Numbers 30 verse 2 says that vows bind our souls with a bond. So be careful. One thing that that I did while I was going through this, and and I, I prayed this prayer, and it's a little bit scary prayer to pray, but I'd encourage all of you to pray it. Lord, have I ever made a vow to you that I've forgotten about, but you haven't? That's a scary prayer, isn't it? Because just because I forgot about it and I've moved on doesn't mean God has. But she vowed a vow. And that faith was shown. Nevertheless, in spite of she knew these vows were solemn things, she made a vow unto the Lord and the Lord heard her. And we won't take time to read it again, but God caused Eli to pay attention to her She had a conversation with Eli. He initially thought she was drunken because she was so in bitterness of soul. Just imagine if you're weeping uncontrollably and you're just (laughs) slobbering. (laughs) And then she's not really talking, but her mouth is moving. (laughs) Her mouth's just moving. (laughs) And he looked at her and says, hey, how long are you going to be drunken? Stop drinking. She looked up and said, oh, Lord, I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm brokenhearted. And then God told Eli to say, go on, God's going to give you what you asked for. He didn't even know what she asked for, but God did. And then we see the 
faith of Hannah, she not only had the faith to ask, but she had the faith to receive. She believed Eli. Look at verse 18. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 18. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Why? Because she believed God. She believed that God spoke to Eli, Eli spoke to her, and that God heard her prayer and was going to answer it. She fully believed that she was going to have a child as a gift from God. What faith! And she left the, the tabernacle differently than she came. I imagine her going home and her husband's like, Whoa, what happened to you, honey? And she was happy. See, faith changes us. It can be seen in our face, heard in our words, witnessed in our actions. It's one thing to say you have faith. It's another thing to allow faith to be seen. I look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 19. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah and Elkanah, knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So she had a baby. I don't think it surprised her at all when she conceived. I think she said, this is exactly what God promised me. Now, her faith is shown once again in the name they gave to the child. Look at verse 20. Wherefore, it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. Anytime you see uh, a Hebrew name in English with the last two letters E-L, it usually has a name that has to do with God. El in the Bible, or El in Hebrew, is short for Elohim, which is God. So Samuel, Lemuel, those L names, Daniel, those L names that, that they end with E-L usually have something to do with God. And the word Samuel literally means heard of God or asked of God. So they even showed faith in the name they named him. Now, in Hebrew culture, it was customary for the male to decide the name. But I can imagine uh, Elkanah being so excited for this baby and so happy and grateful for Hannah. He looked at her and said, Hannah, what would you like to name the baby? And she said, let's name him Samuel because God answered my prayer. See, she's showing faith once again. We not only see the faith to ask, the faith to receive, but the faith to give. Now, God had accomplished his part of the vow, but now it was Hannah's turn. And perhaps this was a greater act of faith than receiving the child in the first place. Hannah finally had her heart's desire, but she had committed to give him away. She committed to give him back to the Lord, and she did not shirk her responsibility. You can read verses 21 through 28 later. They were going to go up to the house of the Lord, and she said, I'm going to wait and, and wait till the baby's weaned, wait till the baby's old enough. And then later when the baby was old enough, she took him to the house of the Lord and left him there so that the child could wait on the Lord, live in the temple, and serve God continually. What an act of faith. She gave away the thing that she thought she couldn't live without. What's harder, not having it or having it and then having to give it away? They're both acts of faith. 
She trusted God, though, and there's no evidence in Scripture she did this begrudgingly. I think she did it happily. Because it was more important to her to have a son than to have the son with her. And she was content that the son would serve the Lord. Now let's look lastly at Hannah's finish. We saw Hannah's fret, Hannah's faith, and now lastly Hannah's finish. Look at verses 27 and 28 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And so she gave away the child she couldn't live without. Did she suffer for it? On the contrary, her life was blessed above measure. You know, that's the way God always does things, is when we obey, even when we give, we sacrifice and it hurts, God blesses us on top of that. Would you take a moment and thank God for being generous and kind? I mean, honestly. He's generous and kind. And far too often we begin to believe those devilish voices in our mind that said, see, God's not good, and God did that to you, and God won't let you have this, and God won't. Those are all devilish things. Those are flaming arrows of the wicked one trying to infiltrate your heart and your mind. The truth is God is generous. God is kind. He's gracious. He's given us far more than we deserve. Why then do we pine after the things that we can't have? One wise man said, A rich man wants what he has. A poor man wants what he can't have. Which are you and I? I've been working with the Lord lately and just trying to take pleasure in the little things. And I've been really finding a lot of joy in it. Stepping outside and putting my face toward the sun and feeling my skin start to warm with the warmth of the sun. Walking outside and feeling that light breeze brush across my skin. The smell of the trees and the foliage and the flowers hinted on the air. I like coffee. I like making a cup of coffee. And just about every morning, I'll just step outside on my porch. I'll smell my cup of coffee. And I'll stand out there and look at the world God made and say, Thank you, God. Thank you for this cup of coffee. Thank you for everything. What does it take to make you happy? And the average person says, I'll only be happy if I have what fits what fits in here. I need this job. I need this amount of money. I need these possessions. And if it falls in here, then I'm going to be happy. But everything outside of this, I'm just not going to be happy. And one of the ways that you learn to be happy is you just say, God, I'm deciding that I'm going to be happy if it falls in this. You expand what makes you happy, and that's a choice. I choose to be happy I'm alive. I choose to be happy I'm saved. I choose to be happy for the 
things I do have, not the things I don't. And this is a choice all of us can make. And we see this when we see the end of Hannah's story. She said, Lord, I thought I couldn't live without having a child, but I am pleased to have a son and then give him back to you. And the result of that is joy. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. And then all the way through verse 10, she's just praising the Lord and praising the Lord. She is rejoicing. Now, joy is the byproduct of faith. If you don't have faith, you don't have joy. And if you don't have uh, faith, you don't have peace. But if you can just put your faith in God and leave it all with Him, and drop it all in His lap, and and surrender, and obey, then joy comes, and peace. And life is just such a better way to live. So we see Hannah's finish, she rejoiced. We see Hannah's finish, her pride. And I don't mean a bad pride, I mean... Pride in the good sense of the word. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 18. First Samuel 2, 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. Now, if you know the scriptures, what a privilege to, as a child, be wearing an ephod. This was reserved only for the priest, but here he was as a young man doing things that, that were impossible for young people to do, having responsibilities, serving the Lord in such a unique way. I think Hannah used to think, that's my boy. My boy's in the temple serving God. My boy gets to wear the ephod. My boy is the servant to Eli himself. And she took pleasure in the fact that her child was serving the Lord and then the next verse talks about that moreover his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year and she came when she came up with her husband for the yearly sacrifice and every year she'd come up to see him and she'd take such pleasure and such a mama's pride in the fact that my boy is serving God we see lastly Hannah's finish we see Hannah's family look at Verse 20 and 21 of chapter 2. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife. The Lord give thee the seed of this woman for the loan which she lent to the Lord. And they went home to their own home. So Eli said, listen, Elkanah, Hannah, your son has been such a blessing to me. God give you more children. God just give you more children. And the Lord answered that prayer. Verse 21, the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters and the child Samuel grew before the Lord. She went from having zero children to having one, giving him away, and then God gave her five more children. And that's the way God works. He's generous. He's kind. Luke 6, given it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together. You know, you can't outgive God. I encourage every, every parent to give your children to the Lord. I mean, whether they're babies whether they're adults, take your hands off those children and say, Lord, I thank you for the privilege of of rearing them and I I, want to do my best, whether they're in my home or whether I'm influencing them as adults. But God, my children belong to you. 
give your children to the Lord and see what God can do. Now, we've seen Hannah's faith. To me, it's convicting and encouraging. We saw her fretting, but she took her worry to the Lord. We saw her faith in that she asked God, what do you need to ask him for today? Then she had the faith to receive. Maybe God's told you it's coming, but you just don't believe it. What if, what if, what if Eli said, you're going to have what you want, and Hannah said, no, I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe it until it gets here. I'm, I'm just going to stay a mess until God, God delivers me from... That's how a lot of us live. We demand it now, and God says, I'm going to give it to you in the future. Live in that faith. Say, you know what, God, I'm going to believe you. I don't need it right now to be happy. I'm going to trust it in the future. And then her finish, you can't outgive the Lord. The next time we fret, let's choose to exercise faith, trusting God for a joyful finish. Let me say a final word. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, none of this is going to make sense. Faith begins when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Nothing else matters until you get that done. Why not confess your sin? Trust Christ as your Savior today, trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection. Let me say to you, ladies, uh, I sure do appreciate you. I don't have words to tell you how much I love my wife and how thankful I am for her. I don't have words to tell you how much I'm thankful for my mom, my mother-in-law, the ladies in my life. And honestly, I don't have words to thank you for you ladies that are part of Curtis Corner Baptist Church. I can't imagine church without you. I can't imagine what life would be without godly women you look to Jesus, who was the first one at the tomb? A woman. Who washed his feet with her tears in her hair? A woman. Who wept when he hung on the cross watching? Women. You ladies add so much to life. And I just thank you. We live in a world where so many ladies are following an ungodly path, trying to be things God never created them to be. Thank each one of you for your faith. Thank you for your kindness, your encouragement, your generosity. And all of us men, I think, would agree that we would be an absolute mess without you. We, you think we're a mess now. <laughs> you should think about what we would be without you. So I hope that you really do have a, a wonderful Mother's Day. I hope that you are blessed. And oh, I know you're probably not going to have a, a, the Mother's Day you hope with going out to eat or being with family or those types of things. But just know that you're loved and appreciated so much. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the chance to get together. We do thank you for the women of our lives. And thank you for the uh, example of Hannah uh, we have here. Pray that you'd help us to put these things into our lives and bless each one of these folks who listen. 
give the ladies a good day. Help us men to honor them and respect them and cherish them as they so richly deserve. Keep us safe. Bring us back safely this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.